Welcome to the Nebraska Hawk's Nest. These guys are brave. They're Hawkeyes living in enemy territory. Listen, these guys are way past their prime, but they're still Hawkeyes. They're spreading the Hawkeye hype to all of Nebraska. The Frost Advisory is canceled. Corn Huskers, more like corn shuffles. Are you ready for this podcast? Let's go! All right. Well, welcome back to the Nebraska Hawks Nest. We are lucky enough to be joined by Landon and Levi Paulson, the Paulson brothers from Iowa Hawkeye football. How's it going, guys? We're hanging in there. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's going good. It's so, a little it's a little disappointing to see that you guys have cleaned up a little bit and trying to become productive members of society now. Got the <laughs> Nice looking haircut, like look like you could work for like a like a stockbroker or a Fortune 500 company right now. You're looking smooth. <laughs> like, so a lot of people don't recognize us. I mean, we both lost some weight, got the haircut. So take that as a compliment. Thank you guys. So for our viewers at home, can you guys identify which one of you is Levi and which one of you is Landon? I'm Landon. I'm the older twin. I'm Levi, I'm the younger twin and uh, <laughs> the better looking one. <laughs> So we, I hear that from my readings that you guys, the coaches would get you guys confused with one another quite a bit and in, in the O-line room and meetings and things like that. How frustrating did that get for you guys? Um, For the most part, I think the coaches were were fairly decent. There was, you know, a, every now and then Coach Ferentz, I mean, Coach Ferentz would always just call us Paulson, you know, so he could never get it wrong. And Brandon Sheriff had – number 68 before I had it. So it was Brandon Landon. So they could kind of, they could kind of go off of that. Um, but I mean, we've dealt with it our whole life. I mean, growing up, my, I mean, still to this day for the 24 years we've been on this planet, I, my, my grandfather still can't tell us apart. He just says, come here, boy, or how you doing, boy? Um, so we're kind of used to people not being able to tell us apart. We answer names. Never disrespect the grandpa. So <laughs> Exactly. That's what Jerry always says to me whenever we're hanging out. Get over here, boy. Come on over here. Like, <laughs> fine, whatever. Got to respect your grandpa elders. The hawk's nest. I do what I'm told. He's he's older than me, so I shut up and and do what would do what I'm told. So I, you know, I don't want I don't want to piss Grandpa Jerry off. So, <laughs> um, so let all the Hawkeye fans out there know um, what you guys are up to now, where you're living, and what you guys are doing for work. Yeah, 10-4. Um, so we are southwest of Iowa City in a small town called Kelowna. Um, it's about 20% of it is Amish. It's uh, uh, about a town of 2,000 people. Yep. Um, I'm currently living with Landon. He bought a house here. My girlfriend and I uh, were looking for a house, had a hard time finding it. He said, hey, just move in here. I bought a three-bedroom house, and it's just me and my girlfriend. So we lived here, um, and the plan was to get my girlfriend to graduate from dental hygiene school, which she'll do this weekend and then move out and who knows where we're headed to next. But in terms of an occupation, I currently work in sales for a company called Neat. Um, you could, if you're watching, you can see it in the background there. And right. we are a company based out of Oslo, Norway. And what we do is design and manufacture video conferencing hardware um, specifically for Zoom. Wow. <laughs> And so for me, I, I graduated, I graduated college. We played in the holiday bowl and, and, you know, we were both kind of looking for jobs and up in the air and kind of fit in where you can get in. The unemployment rate was so low in Southeast Iowa that jobs were few and far between. And so I got a job um, working as operations manager for a solar energy company out of North Liberty. And I coordinated 
over 500 projects in the state of Iowa. I coordinated um, a bunch of projects in the state of Missouri as well. And uh, I kind of had a one year tenure there and uh, and kind of decided it was time to move on and, and didn't didn't really, you know, know where I was going to go with my life. Coach Ferentz told me one of my earliest years, you know, he, he said, uh, if I could tell you boys anything right now, it's that uh, your 20s is for figuring out what you want to do in, in your life. And uh, kind of started out to be that way. Um, but just a couple months ago, I accepted a, uh, a job at Need as well in, in business operations. So so I work with the, the global global head of operations and uh, we deal with orders all across the world. So well, that's awesome. You guys get to work together now and you'll um, I guess Jerry and I have found out sometimes figuring out what you want to do into your 20s can bleed into your 30s and ho hopefully hopefully not your 40s. But we're, <laughs> Jerry and I are getting there. We're late bloomers. So well, one of these days we'll figure it out. If you guys know what we're supposed to do when we get older, let us know. <laughs> we're, we're, we're a couple guys in our basement doing a podcast. So <laughs> oh yeah so yeah let us know if you guys get get it figured out for us we'll we'd appreciate it but that this company uh sounds awesome that's great that you guys are going to continue to build a work together um speaking of working together when you guys were coming out of high school with with your recruitment what sc other schools were you guys considering other than iowa and were you when you guys came out were you dead set on being a package deal or did you guys consider going your separate ways I don't know. We, I mean, we really didn't have much guidance. Our dad helped us out a lot in the recruiting process, but nobody at Woodbury Central had ever gone through anything like it. And, you know, in the, in the digital age, I mean, it just kind of changed, you know, it was like the Hayden Fry area. There was no media, you know, or there was, but it was a video camera in your face here and there and the recording here and there. But now we've got social media and, and uh, all of that stuff. So, we really didn't know, you know, and, and uh, to answer your question, I, I don't think that we could ever, I, I don't think that we would have ever thought to, to go to different places. If it happened, it happened. It, if it happened, it happened. But um, I don't think that we were ever in the mindset that we were going to be apart from each other. Yeah. But you know, it was so different for somebody from our school to kind of start getting recruited. Um, we went to a few camps, started getting recognized, got our first offer. And then from that day forward, it's like everybody and their dog sends you a piece of mail. I mean, Oregon from the West Coast, you're talking, you know, Auburn, Florida, Miami from the East Coast, and then everybody in between sends you this mail. And you're not really sure if it's fluff or if it's like serious. It was so new to us. Um, but with that being said, we did get invited to a lot of visits um, across the Big Ten, and we visited a, a lot of um, organizations um, and football teams across the Midwest because obviously um, kind of schooling was at the forefront of our minds. Like, you know, I was really kind of leaning towards maybe something more agricultural based where Landon's really leaning some, more towards something more health and human physiology slash medicine related. Um, so with that in mind, we did go meet the different coaches, <clears throat> visit the different um, organizations to really see what kind of fit. And at the end of the day, you know, our deciding factor was, you know, one, we had a scholarship to the University of Iowa, but two, we gelled with the University of Iowa better than we gelled with any other coaches. The, the people, for sure. The people. You know, we've heard that with other recruits talking about, did you just feel that Iowa knew you better when you came to campus? They were more prepared, more organized. I mean, we've heard that from other recruits saying that Iowa just kind of seemed to have their act together more so than other places they visited. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and it, Coach Ferentz has a knack for it, and he has a knack for names, and he has a knack for faces. Um, but it's just those little tiny details, you know, and he preaches it, you know, all the time. The details, the details, the details, and 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 truly, him knowing who my little sister was, and Reese Morgan knowing who my little sister was, and Reese Morgan Morgan when he's in South Dakota stopping stopping through Woodbury Central and visiting my mom's classroom, like that stuff's cool, and that and that means more than more than anything. Yeah, and 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 you know, I mentioned a lot of fluff in terms of like the email campaigns and the mail. Campaigns that all these schools sent out. Um, another thing was that Iowa really, and excuse my language, they were really no bullshit. They told us, hey, you guys, <laughs> they didn't exactly say it this way, but they said, you guys are fat. You guys are going to take some development 
And it's going to take time. Our, we're a developmental program. And I think me and Landon kind of hearing that we're like, okay, these guys are going to give us the right tools. They're going to, you know, food, workouts, um, playbook. They're going to build us up. Hopefully by, you know, our third, fourth, fifth year, we're playing a lot of football and good football at that. You know, I was more well-known maybe than any other Division One school for their development with the strength and conditioning program with, you know, the position coaches and everybody involved with the program. Tell us about your journey from the time you guys walked onto campus until the time that you left uh, about how you developed it as men and as football players to be, you know, some of the best offensive linemen we've had at the school for quite some time. I think that's really generous. <laughs> um, well, we, it's just, it's crazy, you know, and, and getting recruited when you're a sophomore, you know, in, in the weight room by yourself at 6 a.m. and Reese Morgan shows up there and he's watching and he's, you know, talking to your coach and whatnot. He's watching the way you work and it's like, we didn't really didn't do anything different than we normally do. Right. Um, but then you walk through those doors and, and you see, you see faces that, you know, we didn't really watch football growing up. I mean, we didn't really have a team. We thought we had pro teams, but we didn't watch it. We were outside more than anything. And if we were inside, it was probably because we were in trouble. Um, but I think that physically, emotionally, um, psychologically, I, I, I think that those there's a lot of there's a couple pillars in there that go unnoticed. The the mental aspect of the game, the emotional aspect of the game, the psychological aspect of the game. Everybody knows that I was gonna build you to be real physical beasts. And there's a progression that you go through from the time you go in there, you're learning how to stretch and we can barely make it through the warm-up our first week there and we're like sweating so profusely and can't make weight and blah blah blah. But you get into a routine and you get it and you know it and 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 whatever, but um, Carmen Tebby, our psychologist, helped me out a lot just as far as, as my mental game. And I, I could go to her and, and talk to her about anything. Um, later on in my senior year, I, I was a little bit overweight. And I was like going into summer conditioning. I'm like, I was nervous. I had anxiety. I'm like, I'm not going to make my times. And if I keep sitting in a sauna on Sundays for two hours to lose 20 pounds, I'm going to peel over. And, uh, She's like, well, why don't you just talk to Coach Doyle? I'm like, well, I never really thought about that. She's like, go talk to him. Went to talk to Coach Doyle. I said, Mr. Paulson, how can I help you? And we set up a plan, you know, and and a plan to lose weight. But the the psychological aspect, the mental aspect of the game, they really, you know, I wouldn't say put you through the ringer, but they they push you and they push push you to the limit. And it's not ever like anything super severe. It's like Paulson, you didn't touch a line. You're going to come back and do another rep. Like, oh, that makes sense. I didn't do things the right way, so they're going to make me come back and do it the right way. You know, it wasn't ever like they were, you know, pointing fingers. It was because they, the details matter. And and all of those steps along the way were, were really cool. And then, I mean, to, to end my tangent, I think being, being a fifth year, fourth and fifth year player is one of the coolest parts of, of, of being an Iowa Hawkeye. Just to see that, you know, young kids are going through the exact same things that you went through. And you're telling those guys what, what Austin Blythe was telling us when we were freshmen. You know, it's like, keep your head down, keep going, don't take stuff personally, move forward, you know, and, and, and ultimately those things, you know, will come, come back to help you in the future. So yeah. I think being a fourth and fifth year player is, is, is really cool. And to see the mentorship that goes on. But the transition from Mobile to the University of Iowa, I'll talk about it just quickly in, in a couple different aspects. First, from a football aspect, you're playing in front of 200 people at Mobile. Um, and this probably more than that. I mean, not much more if, 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 if that, you know, you're playing both sides of the ball. You don't really schematically know football, you know, pretty much what run blocking is, i.e. you can go downfield, you know what pass blocking is, i.e. you can't go downfield. I mean, that's the pretty much basics. We know, you know, one, two, three, four, hole, you know, evens right, odds left. And that's really the, the, the details to what we knew football. So when we got to Iowa, it was like, 
whoa, they're talking in a completely different language. You know, there's a whole playbook in place already. And they set, you know, a playbook on your desk this thick. And, you know, you are expected to learn it, you know, and, and by your third, fourth and fifth year, I mean, you understand that playbook from front to back. And it was so cool to actually understand football, understand why we run certain plays with certain defenses. Now, to the other side of things, and you guys have a long-winded and times two, so that's like a double whammy, so sorry about that. Um, but on the other side of things, we grew up in Northwest Iowa, conservative Northwest Iowa, very minimal diversity. Um, and, uh, you know, I think at our school, we had maybe uh, a Hispanic family and we had maybe a black family um, throughout our all entire K through 12, preschool through 12. So going to the University of Iowa, first of all, a big city, um, what we thought to be a big city. Now we're kind of looking at like my sister lives in Chicago. I work with people in Los Angeles and Detroit. It's like, yeah, you know, Iowa City is really not that big, but to us it was. Um, so that was kind of a culture shock at first. I mean, you have people on your team that are from some of the largest cities in the in the nation, and they have came through a complete different they complete different upbringing than you have. You know, the the values and kind of the things that our parents have driven and that our culture and society in Northwest Iowa has driven is completely different than how they grew up. You know, they talk about how they lived and it was just like eye-opening it's like whoa there's a completely different world out there which landon and i enjoyed because i mean as you guys can hear listen to this podcast we talk a lot and we love talking to people and getting everything we can out of people um so it was awesome and great to learn you know the different people on our team and really mesh with them connect with them on a deeper level than just playing football i think and stop yeah just, <laughs> well you talked about going from high school high school to college but i think physically going from going from high school where you're playing both sides of the ball to going to university of Iowa where you're playing one specific position i think the first day in pads is like oh my gosh I just got my face ripped off by josie jewel and i'm laying on my back you know i it was it was crazy you know it's a totally different pace but then again the the reps are super fast and super aggressive and then you get a good break. It's not like let's run a play, let's run a play, let's run a play, let's run a play, let's run a play. It's run run two or three plays and and call it a break, just like a normal series would be. So that was that was another interesting thing. So something I've wondered, guys, and maybe I'm the only one, but um, you know, I see you guys over there. And before the interview, we were talking, and you know, the weight loss. You see so many guys when they leave a program or they leave the pros, linemen, and they drop the weight like they do. How difficult is training table? I mean, I you know, you see all these huge meals, but it's got to be a ton of work keeping that on, not just weightlifting, but I mean, I mean, the required eating, the whole, you know, take us through that. And how difficult is that to adjust to and transition to as part of being a lineman in the division and, one football? And those shakes, too. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a huge component of it. Well, I mean, for us, it wasn't. it wasn't that difficult. I'll tell you why. Because back in seventh or eighth grade, when we really started, uh, our next door neighbor said, you know, hey, Dan, talking to my dad, he said, uh, hey, Dan, are your boys thinking about playing college football? And my dad's like, farm boy, you know, agronomist, really doesn't watch football. He said, well, I don't know. He said, well, I think you should because they're, they're big, you know, and they're decently athletic and they could potentially get their school paid for. So from that day forward, my dad, you know, our story, I don't know if anybody's heard it or you guys have heard it, but my dad kind of started getting these muscle fitness magazines, which at the time were like the only thing we had. We started kind of following some uh, uh, workouts in there. But then I think Landon and I got our first smartphone or, iPad or an iPod or something. And uh, we started watching these YouTube videos. And, and a person we found um, was a guy by the name of C.T. Fletcher. Huge, huge dude, huge dude. And he kind of brainwashed us just this one video, this one documentary of him brainwashed us to think that if we wanted to be the biggest, baddest MFers in the world, you had to eat. You had to eat a lot of calories. You had to like put yourself through suffering to like, you know, get big. So we ate everything. And I mean everything. Um, something that kind of is kind of an unspoken myth in our town is that we actually calculated it out. And my parents spent more on milk per week than they did commuting to and from work. And my dad drove 
20 miles to work and 20 miles from work every single day in a piece of junk during that gets eight miles a gallon. About 17 gallons of milk a week. 17 gallons of milk. Wow. For us, the transition wasn't that hard. Um, yeah, it is a lot to consume. Um, but then again, I mean, they do a really good job of it. They give you everything that you need and more. You drink so many liquid calories. I mean, any drink that you guys drink, replace it with a 260 or 360 calorie drink. You know, and you have eight of those a day. That's already a lot of calories just in liquid form. Yeah, before probably before ten o'clock in the morning, eight, nine, or ten o'clock in the morning, we already had probably three thousand calories in us, wow. which is which is crazy. You know, whether that's eating food or liquid. I mean, we probably had fifteen hundred calories that were liquid before before nine o'clock. Wow. But I was going to say something else about. Uh, and it was interesting too because uh, you know you go your body goes through so much kind of trauma in that you go through different phases. So in the fall, it's obviously hotter. You're in pads. You're burning a lot more calories because you're going through a two and a half hour practice and you're doing an hour lift. And then you have conditioning. Like you're working out a whole bunch in the off season. So by the time the season gets over with, your body weight's low. Then once the season ends and you kind of get that off season rolling, then it's like. Okay, eat a lot. You're not burning as many calories. Yeah, good hibernation fat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it was awesome. But they really helped you. But guys, on the back end, it's brutal. It's we tell we still talk to about it to each other. We're volume eaters. Like we just want to look at a plate and see it be full, and we want to finish that plate. So now our now it's like a can of tuna and celery, carrots, and broccoli. You know. And, <laughs> And that's what we're eating. Eat up, guys. Well, you guys had that. Well, what was the guy's name that you um, said inspired you? C.T. Fletcher. C.T. Fletcher. See, uh, Jerry and I had a man named uh, Colonel Sanders. Fried <laughs> chicken, and that was uh, that was our inspiration. He he told Why are you guys us laughing. We're being honest. We're bearing our souls, and you're laughing at us. <laughs> Oh, really he, he made me believe that a family bucket of chicken could be eaten by one man. So, <laughs> and, but I, I, I still live that that dream today. Um, you tell us a little bit about your guys' relationship with Reese Morgan because um, I feel like the more Hawk, former Hawkeyes that we talk to, that this might be maybe the a little bit of the football whisper. The guy can find a diamond in the rough better than about any football coach I've ever heard of. And it seems like every guy that's played for him has a special relationship with him. Tell us uh, what your guys' relationship is like with Coach Morgan. Go ahead, bro. Oh, super good. You know, it, it was probably the earliest kind of cultivated relationship that we had with a football coach. Besides probably Bill Blyle. Yeah, besides Bill Blyle at Iowa State, actually. Um, and... You know, it was awesome because, again, coming back to what my initial point was, you know, he was a straight shooter. He said, you know, we're a developmental program. We think that you guys have what it takes. One, you're coachable. Two, you got a good frame on you. And um, you get good grades. <laughs> That's what it takes to compete and excel at the University of Iowa as a student athlete. Um, <clears throat> so throughout the entire recruiting process and then even afterwards when uh, we were on the team, He'd still be out on the road recruiting. He'd still stop by my mom's third grade classroom when she was teaching, just say, hi, I want to stop in, blah, blah, blah. Maddie, our little sister was shit, probably in fifth or sixth grade when we first started getting recruited, and now she's a freshman in college. Um, and Maddie would call her Grandpa Reese and give her a big old hug every time she saw her. And I mean, it was just it was, it was was just cool. And, and, and furthermore, I think Coach Morgan was great because – you know, he was vulnerable and he was honest and, and he would miss, he would, he'd say he's coming to a wrestling meet and he'd miss it, you know? And I mean, extenuating circumstances and he'd just tell us, missed it boys. I'm sorry. You know, but we saw him at track meets and, and all over, you know, and he was recruiting more guys than just us shot and, and Coy and Tristan. And I mean, Brett Waxer and Jake Newberg, like a whole bunch of guys he was recruiting in the state at the time. And, I don't know. He's just great salt of the earth. He's a he's, he's a really good guy, and he has a way of coaching individuals that's that's really unique. And we didn't get that kind of firsthand, obviously, because he was on the defense. But we saw it, and all the guys in the, in our room um, did speak highly of him. Um, 
there towards the end of his career. I think I we were in camp one year, and I think I did almost see him end his life on a bicycle going down the Coral Strip. Um, that was that's another story. <laughs> but he's still alive. Great guy. Well, good deal. So speaking of Kirk, you know, he's kind of come up and we all know his his pedigree's offensive line with you guys being offensive linemen. Uh, but I believe Coach Polisek was have been your coach, I believe, the whole time you were there, your position coach. I mean, how much three how years. much involvement does Kirk have? I'm sorry? It was a couple three three years with Polisek. And then we okay. had uh, so but anyway, how much uh, interaction, you know, is, is Kirk more involved with your position group or being offensive lineman and being his pedigree, or does he still pretty much rely on the off- the assistant coaches to handle that? Or how how does that usually work? Oh my gosh. I think Yes, Coach Ferentz would when he puts an emphasis on offensive line plays <laughs> all day. When when Coach Polisek or Coach Brian Ferentz were on the re- road recruiting, Coach Ferentz would step in and man, he would put us through the ringer. You know, it was, it was I mean incredible to see him. You know, doing what he was brought up doing. You know, and did for a lot of years and did it for a lot of years very successfully. Um, but I, I, it's really an interesting dynamic, like in a team practice, right? Um, I've heard multiple people kind of refer to him as a ghost. You know, like you'd be going about it with your position coach, whether it's Brian Ferentz or Coach Polisek at the time, and you'd have your assistants, and you'd be going through you know, You know on the Kenyon practice field where there's that really sloping um, – there's that sloped turf hill? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. There's that yep. slope hill. He would stand at the top of it, right underneath, right underneath the light. And he, what, like he's saying, you would you would be doing a random drill, like on the totally opposite end of the field, and you'd hear somebody from a mile away screaming your name, and you knew exactly who it was every time, and it was him. And he had just had eagle eyes. Paulson, what are your elbows doing? Do another one. You know, and he'd bring you back. Um, but it was a really cool dynamic because coach's philosophy was, I mean, he, in team periods, he was really hard on us. Um, he would coach us hard. But when we were doing individual, um, he would let the coaches coach. And, you know, if if there was something from a past game that maybe he needed to he needed to jump in and, and, and say some words, he would, you know, and, and, and he wouldn't take it very lightly on us. Um, but for the most part, I mean, he was around. He didn't sit in our meetings ever. Um, but, I mean, just a, a good presence to have, you know, because got a lot of offensive line play. So I'm getting the feeling from our conversation that you guys are going to have a few of these stored away in the bank. But we, Jerry and I always like to find out in the locker room or in the practice field, what are one or two just classic stories of something that happened that the average fan uh, like Jerry or myself or anybody listening would not know about or wouldn't be privy to something that you guys look back on when you're hanging out at home on a Friday night, having a beer and you're like, gosh, remember that? That was freaking ridiculous. Something that makes you guys laugh. Just like a great story. I mean, there's so many of them. Some of them are like triple X rated. Let's hear them. We don't have a rating system here. It's just us. Come on, guys. Nobody's watching. Well, in, in 2015, the head coach's youngest son, when we beat uh, when we beat Wisconsin, he was rubbing his balls on the trophy. <laughs> on the on the on the trophy. And on the bowl? Oh yeah. And That's just awesome. Yeah. So hopefully that. nobody was kissing the trophy after that. Right. Um, I think there's another story that, you know, I'll look back on and it'll always be funny. Um, I have really high arches on my feet. And ever since I got to Iowa, the coaches would tell me to point my toes straight ahead and not walk on the outsides of my feet uh, ever since I got there. And I, no matter what I would do, I just couldn't do it. And it was every single year, every morning, Landon, toe straight ahead. Coach Dill would call me back, toe straight ahead, and I just could never do it because I wasn't born that way. You know, my toes point out when I walk, and it's brutal. Senior year, I'm standing in the huddle. We're going through a big team period, 
And uh, it's probably, I mean, we're probably what, 10 or 12 minutes into it. Oh gosh, yeah. And we're, I mean, we're going hard and it's hot. And Coach Ferentz screams at the top of his lungs. Everybody stop, don't move. He says, and so we're all standing in the huddle and we're just gassed. He says, Landon Paulson. And I'm like, oh no. Uh-oh. Look down at your feet. And he, he comes up and he's standing right next to me. He's like, look down at your feet. He's like, do you see that? He's like, point your toes straight ahead. He's like, wait on your insteps. And everybody in the whole practice was dying. And I'm just like sitting there like embarrassed because it's something I've tried to work on for four or five years. But he stopped the whole entire practice just to tell me to point my, point my toes straight ahead. And Coach Doyle still gives me crap about it to this day. Uh, it's just, yeah, that's a pretty good one. You know, the thing that I think about that, you know, usually a lot of people don't see is is really just how competitive our practices are against the defense and, um, you know, how much uh, Brian Ferentz and Coach Parker really, really love to compete. I mean, it's like a, t- a chess match. Um, but the thing that, you know, a lot of uh, fans don't see is the like the fights we get into because it's so competitive. And, uh, you know, some of those fights have escalated to, you know, people losing teeth, people, you know, biting through their lip, getting punched, ripping off helmets, starting to throw punches and stuff because it's really competitive, you know. And a lot of them are like hysterical. We'll go back and watch them on film time and time again just because it's like, holy crap, dude. Like, I mean, it's a brawl. Um, but on the backside of things, you know, um, you know, Brian Ferentz and Coach Parker, uh, because there's obviously like NFL scouts there. There's, you know, other recruits there. There are other recruits, parents. So they're screaming, right? They're like, stop it. You know, why are you doing that? Quit it. Oh, you know, online, making us do sprints and stuff. But then, you know, the story starts when we get back into our position groups, you know, where they're like, you know, like, you know, you know, you, know, you guys know that we just yell just because we have to cover our ass, right? <laughs> you know, you guys can start as many fights as you want. He says, I fucking hate the defense. You know, and uh, that's just something that you guys don't see, but it is really competitive, you know. It's so competitive. I mean, I think most of them were spurred from, you know, uh, we'll be practicing and it'll be just kind of like a, an uppers practice. I, we don't have any pads down below. Um, so you're supposed to, defense is supposed to like tap the skill players, tap the wide receivers, tap them below the waist. And uh, if they put somebody to the ground, oh my gosh, it's like all hell breaks loose. And uh, some of those fights get pretty wild. Pretty yeah. wild. Oh, it's crazy. So you're talking about Brian Ferentz and you've mentioned Coach Doyle and with what went on last summer and they've been in the news again this week, what was your two, both of your relationships like with both of them? And, you know, t- talk about how you, uh, what your experiences were. Yeah, I think I'll comment on that first. Uh, you know, from from my perspective, um, no matter who my teammates were, I was I will always respect them. Black, white, uh, no matter what, every person on my team, I had the utmost respect for. Um, specifically speaking about Coach Doyle and, and Brian Parents, I had great relationships with them, and I don't think I could say a bad word about them. They created like myself. I let Landon speak for himself, but they created me into a player and even more so a person that um, maybe going in, I never thought I would be. Um, so that's my two cents. I want to keep it brief at that, but I'll let you comment. Yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's a tough dynamic. I don't think that anybody could have, you know, ever foresaw what was going to happen last summer. Um, but I'll just echo what he said. Um, those two guys are a couple of the greatest mentors in my life. Um, just good people, you know, and, and, and good people in the fact that they're brutally honest and uh, they're brutally honest with, with, with me and him. Um, and they know that we, me and him know when to, when to get stuff done and, and when to have a good time. And, uh, and I think that's something that they taught, you know, they taught us is that we can have a good time, but when it's time to, you know, play football, it's business. When it's time to lift weights, it's business. And, you know, for that, I can, I can, uh, I, I don't think I could ever repay him. I just, uh, a couple of the best, best guys I've ever, I, best guys and best coaches I've ever met in my life. Pretty sure. much everything you guys have said has been echoed 
to the T from every other former player that, that we've interviewed. It's just, you know, it's the Iowa way and it's the standard set equally for everybody on the team. And some guys are able to adjust to that and, and conform to, to the way that they want to run the program and other guys struggle with it. And that's natural. I mean, that's going to happen, you know, no matter where you are. So um, we, you know, appreciate your guys' insight on that. And um, shifting over to a little bit of a lighter note, um, our, uh, our our team here came up with some twin Iowa Hawkeye twins trivia. And so we're going to run this by you guys a little bit. I'm going to, um, I'll ask the first one and then Jerry, you come in with the rest. Okay. Cause I know Jerry led our research team on this one. So, um, it was, it consisted of a couple six year olds that I saw, you know, when I was picking my kids up from school. So just be ready. <laughs> Leave those kids alone, Jerry. All right. So the first question we want to know from you guys is Iowa Hawkeye Twins trivia is how many sets of twins have played football at the University of Iowa? In the history of the program? Yes. Uh, four? Six. Four this year? Oh, Which Six. answer? Six. Six is correct. Yes, sir. That was damn good. You're one for one. I think I honestly read it in a, in a, uh, what do you call those? When they give you a, a brochure, a program. Oh, yeah. oh program. Okay. Yeah. Peter. And just so you know, the, you know, what's on the line here, if you get these correct, is Adam and I's uh, respect. So, Bush later from me. Oh, yeah. For next time we're in uh, Iowa City, or we might be able to arrange for a couple of those too. <laughs> We can do that. Right, go ahead, Adam. Got another one? All right. Number two, um, who were the last set of twins to start at Iowa together? Uh, Landon and Levi Paulson. Other than you two. Come on. Uh, Before you two. Uh, would it be uh, Would it be Chikosi and Chikizi? Or did they not play? Ujiasi? No. Is that I don't do this. I don't think well, it is. I want to say it was like, like that would have been like 2002 era. All right. The hides. The answer is Kent and Keith Ellis in 1980. No. <laughs> no you together. Oh, true. Right. Yeah. We pay this research team top dollar, so they can't be wrong. <laughs> They're top of the line. And then the last one is. Who are the last set of twins to play football before you? Let's see. At Iowa. At yeah. Iowa. Yeah. Jerry, you got to clear that one up for me. Not start together. You're just saying play. The last set of twins before you played at Iowa. Who were the last set of twins to play at Iowa before you? Is it between 2010 and 2020? Um, just a little bit before 2010. You're close. <laughs> Close. Gosh, I used to... was Chick on. No, they were Clay way earlier. They were way early, weren't they? I want to say they're like young. I can't remember. Young, young. No. Yeah, I don't know. All right, we can help you out. Um, it is Shane and Sean Prater. Oh, Prater, shit. Hi. <laughs> All right. Let's. Yeah, we did not want, grow up watching football, so. I, mean, I wouldn't have remembered that one either. I did when I read that. I'm like, God, I forgot all about that. I didn't even know. So, um, yeah. and so with that, that's going to move us right into our kid question of the day, brought to you by Meyer Electric with shockingly good service since 1931. The question, the kid question of the day is, if you two were a pro wrestling tag team. What would your tag team name be? Like some pretty explicit things come to my mind initially. But... Just let it fly. <laughs> um, what would our tag team wrestling name be? You can't tell me you've never had that conversation as kids or as adults because you're way more mature than I would have thought. Well, I think it's only fitting. I mean, Border states, Iowa, Nebraska. You know what I'm thinking? What? Corn and soybeans? <laughs> no. I'm you. What? 
I wish I could mute. Just say it. Just go ahead. Like Missouri River boat ride or something. <laughs> that's kind of that's unique. There you go. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I mean, I probably have to go back to like, you know, the early days when we were growing up in Mobile, we played basketball in Sioux City at East High School and uh, all the Sioux City area schools, Sergeant Bluff, East, West. They referred to us as the Twin Tower, so that's probably what I have to go with. That's cool. Yeah. So, guys, with your, you know, something I wanted to touch on while we had this interview is with your candidness. You get, you know, you, it's honestly, it's obvious you've got respect for your teammates, your coaches, the mentors in your life. I mean, and you really were came across while you were there, like as really, you know, just really good guys that we're finding out you are. And so some of the, while you were at Iowa too, some of the off the field, you know, tell us a little bit more about the philanthropic efforts you guys had. You know, you got paid to cut your hair for the uh, dance marathon while you were there. You, uh, I believe you moved some couches at some point. You were, you know, it always seemed like we were hearing about some of these stories. And I know you're, you're probably too modest, but I mean, tell us a little bit about where that comes from. Have you always been that way? You know, did it, did, was that ingrained? But it seemed like you guys were always doing a lot of great things for the community behind the scenes. Yeah, before I go into the philanthropic efforts in college, I think it stems back to uh, kind of how our parents raised us. Um, and one thing I remember growing up was if somebody did something nice to us um, or you know gave us a nice gift or something, our parents would always, always make us write a hand thank you to them, no matter what it was. Handwritten that's thing. awesome. So I think that's where it all stems from. I think another another thing that it stems from is – we were probably in first or second grade and we had neighbors across the street from us who were probably 85, 90 years old. And it snowed a lot one day and mom's like, you boys need to get outside and go scoop their driveway. And we did it. And we scooped their driveway and we're like, okay, blah, 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 whatever. Then we did it again. Um, a couple of days later after a lot of nagging and then um, the old guy comes out and lifts the garage door and he says, Hey, I haven't paid you for the last five times and handed us like 200 bucks. And we're like, Oh, oh wow. We can't take that money. Like 20 bucks, maybe. Um, and then mom's like, when are you ever going to do something nice for your parents? You should scoop our driveway too. So then we kind of started our own snow removal business, but um, we really got, I mean, we really, realized how appreciative um, people on our entire street and in our community um, appreciated what we did for them, you know, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I think it comes back to, you know, reciprocity in that um, that's kind of what our entire lives revolve around is, uh, is the give and take, you know, uh, we're not going to expect anything out of them, um, but we're going to treat everybody with respect. We're going to give them our best. If a little kid wants to take a picture with us, absolutely. We're going to do that. Um, because of the fact that, you know, for one, we care and, and we are pretty lighthearted dudes and, and when we care about, you know, everybody and their their dog for that matter. Um, but you never know what some sort of little gesture, some little action, um, you never know what kind of dividends it's going to pay for you in the future. Might open a job opportunity up for you. It might open, you know, an opportunity up for kids that I have someday. So that's where I think it stems from. Do you want to touch on um, college endeavors and uh, yeah. marathon? Yeah, and I just, I just think one more thing to add on to that is like, we were little kids at one time too, and and for us, we would look up to the high school seniors, and we thought it was awesome. We were water boys all growing up because we just, uh, we just like to you know, do a good job, you know, and and they really appreciate it, and we looked up to them. So you never know how it's gonna. Uh, turn around and, and benefit you in the future. But as far as the, the philanthropic efforts in, in college, it was kind of a, a crazy deal. We had, we grew our hair out because we were clean shaven and wrestling in high school. We had never grown our beards out. We were on uh, Accutane acne medicine. And when we would shave and wrestling, it would just rip our skin off too. Oh, I've been through that. So like, we're like, when we're done, like we're not sh clean shaving ever again. And we're moving away from our, bar our 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 number one barber, which is our mom. So, <laughs> you know, we're not paying for a haircut, so we're not getting one. So we grew our hair out for three or four years, and it, I mean, there's a really awkward phase in there for a long time. And and uh, 
we were obviously red shirts, so we were there for five years, and both of our girlfriends were um, didn't redshirt, so they were there for four years. So my girlfriend's last year in college um, was 2018, uh, 2019, and uh, she's like, I took a year off from doing dance marathon. She's like, I, I really want to set a goal that's, you know, that's that's bigger than what I've done before. And I'm like, well, what have you done before? She's like, 2,000, 2,200, 2,500. And, she, and I'm like, how about 5,000? She's like, nah, I think that's too much. And I'm like, how about 5,000? And I'll cut my hair. And she looked at me and she's like, you'd really do that? And I was like, yeah, why not? And it's like, I think that me and Levi are so sporadic, you never know really what's going to come out of her mouth. Um, and our buddies can attest to that. And Lexi was like, you'd really do that? I was like, yeah, let's do it. And she's like, well, do you think your brother would do it? I was like, ah, probably not. Levi, Levi wanted to keep his hair so when he was done with college, he could cut his hair and kind of be irrecognizable by the rest of the world. Um, so she asked him, and he's like, no, I don't think so. He's like, come on, $10,000, and $10, and uh, you both will cut your hair and shave your beards. And she's like, Levi's like, nope, not happening. A couple hours go by, and Levi's like, 15 grand, and I'll do it. And so that's kind of where the journey started, and our campaign efforts um, kind of got to 7,000, like 7,700 really fast. Like we're at the halfway point in like two weeks, and it's like, whoo, like this is going to happen, no doubt. And we're just like, wow. we don't want to cut our hair and 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 whatnot. But then it was, it just plateaued and it stopped. And so it's coming to be like three, four weeks before the dance, and we're like, we don't have the money. Like we we're not doing it, you know. And she's already raised like a shit ton of money for for one person. But anyways, we went and spoke at a, we went and, no, it was afterwards. Mm -hmm. We were getting ready to go speak at a, another charity event in, um, in, what was it, West Des Moines? Mm -hmm. um, for, for a nonprofit called Miracle Travel Works. And uh, we were kind of some of the keynote speakers there. And we talked to some of the connections there and they're like, hey man, what's it going to, how much money is it going to take to get you guys to 10 grand? I really want to get you guys past this plateau. Told him, and he's like, "All right, checks in the mail. We get the check. It's over. We're over ten grand, and then the the rest is history." We ended up raising um, almost eighteen grand. Um, wow! For the University of Iowa Dance Marathon, and I mean, in large part to a lot of the people that we've met in Iowa City, um, and a lot of people that we've met throughout our journeys. Um, in, in life, um, but we had donations come from Europe and Hawaii and New York City and Florida and all over the country, which was which was really cool, you know. And and it just goes to show that there are Hawk fans everywhere, and and uh, there's a lot of people out there who are who are um, doing a lot more, you know, than just something good, and, and it's pretty cool to see. Tell us what that transition was like when you go into college and growing your hair long and, and having to manage that. You know, I've been trying to get Jerry to grow his beautiful locks out for a really long time and he just, he won't do it. He's not, he doesn't feel like he can handle the pressure of all the female attention that he's going to get. So, um, Again, you're laughing. Come on, guys. I mean, seriously, I, I, he's being serious. Yeah, I can see Jerry with the ponytail. There's a, there's a reason I wear the hat every interview, by the way. So, <laughs> No, I, I, I wear a hat as well. But what was it like, I mean, that transition? Because that, that, I mean, that's tough. Usually guys are pretty low maintenance and they don't want to spend time dealing, you know, dealing with long hair. Like, what was that transition like for you guys? Well, it was interesting. Well, first and foremost, you got to talk about, you know, what really kind of influenced it maybe. I mean, we already talked about mom kind of moving away, but also the culmination of kind of our country music icons, Willie Nelson, Chris, Stig, All right. these people that were Jamie Johnson, these kind of rough David Allen Coe people that were Little like, Haggard. we were like, yeah, we want to look like that. I mean, we love that kind of music and uh, it just seemed fitting. Um, so we did it. But anyways, the transition, it was, it was very weird because we had never had long hair. 
ever. We never had ear hair ever touch our ears. So that was the first thing I remember was like, holy crap, my hair is touching my ears. And I felt itchy all the time. I'm like, oh, I don't like this at all. Um, but then as it started to grow, um, I don't know. I mean, we had we had a couple guys growing out their hair on the team too. It's like, yeah, we might have looked rough, but like our buddy Nate Meyer, Drew Ott, Nathan Budget, they all drew, grew their hair out too. It's like, so we weren't the only ones who looked a little rough around the edges. Yeah. Okay. So the thing about it is that what makes it really rough is that, you know, during the season, you're putting on a helmet and pretty much forcing your hair to make like dreadlocks. I swear, it just gets matted and it is a lot. A freaking lot, a lot to manage. Lot work. But I mean, you have girlfriends and they teach you how, oh, you need to put the conditioner in like this and brush it from the down out. And it's like, didn't think I'd learn that until I, I think what was even, what, what was even harder was having long hair and getting it cut off. I mean, it, it was the weirdest feeling ever. Like you felt like a sheep, you know, that just lost its, just lost its coat, you know, just oh, yeah. didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> we're like looking at each other. We're like, "Man, you look messed up." <laughs> Why you act so weird? Huh? Oh, geez, just wait till you get to like in your forties and fifties, and you're gonna feel like a sheep getting your back hair sheared <laughs> off and all that <laughs> stuff too. <laughs> it sounds like way too much work. I don't feel so bad now. So, yeah. hey, we need to ask you guys too, since you brought up Nate Meyer's name. We've been trying to get Nate Meyer to come on the show from the very beginning, and he he said he would come on. And then all of a sudden he just like, he looks at all of our messages because it says seen. And then he hasn't <laughs> replied in about six months. I'll give him a nudge. We'll give him a little nudge right. for us. Appreciate all right. That. So oh, I, I'm sorry, guys. I got to do this. I got to get really somber for a question right here because I'm the old guy and I've got these really life pondering questions. So if you're ready for this deep, deep subject, are twins really telepathic? And if so, did that help you on the offensive line when you played? Oh, good heavens. I, <laughs> I mean, I would say we are both, both of our answers would be yes. You know, telepathy is a real thing. And it's so did Landon just tell you, did Landon just uh, tell you that, tele, you know, telepathically? And so you, you spoke for both of you or? Yeah, I was I was thinking about it. I'm, I mean, we we know it's true. Like, yeah, it's the shit that happens on a daily basis that we do, like, Without even saying anything, like two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I was getting ready for a work trip because I'm in sales. So I was traveling to Nashville and I didn't have like a pair of casual dress shoes. So I just on my own, I went to Kohl's. I picked up like some casual dress shoes and I get home and Landon's got dang near the exact same pair of shoes. And we did not talk about it at all. <laughs> like Levi, what are those? Where did you get those? He's like, check mine on. Like, uh, that's just so crazy. Didn't yeah. talk an ounce or lick at this all. This shit happens all the time. I mean, it's great. I mean, and even like, we'll, we won't even, on, like on a weekend or something, if we want to go hunting, we won't even ask each other if, if you want to go hunting. We're just like, you thinking what I'm thinking? Yep. Okay. And then we wake up at 4 a.m. and go turkey hunting. And it's like, specifically on the football field, though, guys, um, I don't know. I don't know I about think it as, helps. I think it does help. I don't know about as much in college as it as we thought it really did in in um, in high school, just because it's so scientific. But I do think it helps. Um, I I would disagree. I would say that it hundred percent helps. Hmm. But we did. I mean, we didn't really ever get to know. Yeah, because we didn't really play on the same side. I mean, when you're with these guys, so I mean, you're with your you know, what we call brothers, our, our offensive line, you know, counterparts for, you know, five years for 300 and probably 50 days a year, you know? So like those guys become almost like brothers. twin brothers and to you, us and you can understand and, and read their minds and they can read your minds and you play together enough with a certain person, you know, Tyler Lenderbaum, Austin Blythe, you know, Sean Welsh, Sean Welsh, you know, you can feel it. You can feel when Josie Jewel's pissing down his leg, ready to blitz. That means a few things. That means Budge is going to loop way out, and you know Drew Ott's going to come smoke you in the face on a U game. Mm. Uh, but yeah, hopefully that answers your question. No, that's a, that's a, that's a that's a great <laughs> answer. 
That was a great answer. You know, and I think the explanation, like you were just talking with the line being your brothers, you mentioned early on about how, you know, the coaching staff is all about the details. And so, I mean, they had you kind of one heartbeat basically um, in your endeavor. So, yeah. yeah. So, so when you guys were at Iowa and, you know, we probably got to wrap things up here. We got to let you get back to your lives there as long, you know, as much as we'd love to sit here and, and talk to you guys all night, but um, you guys played with just a really wide array of some eccentric, wild, crazy characters. Like you said, a Gerard and Nate Meyer, um, you know, Nate budget as a, a friend of the show, a guy that we love. Um, tell us who, who that one or two guys were that were just like, man, like, I can't believe I know this guy. He is the most out of control, wild, crazy, just hardworking, intense football player that I've ever seen play or played with. Man, that's a good, that's a really good question. Holy buckets, you know, from a football player perspective, I would say I, I've never seen anything like Drew in 2015. I've never ever in my life have I witnessed anything like that guy. Playing wise, like, whew, it was in, absolutely insane. He was going to play his best football of his career, and he was going to get drafted really high. Yeah. I'm telling you, it was incredible. Yeah, and Drew was in my mind too uh, because that was our first summer there. I mean – the new players typically come in in June, right? They come in in June, they practice throughout the whole summer, kind of get conditioned, get accustomed to kind of this the flow of things. So we did a lot of conditioning workouts that first summer, and I just remember watching Drew Ott, and we do sprints, and nobody – the next closest person to being on his level when we're doing sprints was you know maybe 15, probably 20 yards away from him. And it's wow. like – it was incredible. How does your body do that? You know, you're the same size as that guy that also plays defensive end, and you just finished 20 yards ahead of him. It's just like something that you're like, whoa. And crazy, too. We went to his uh, <laughs> we went to his bachelor party uh, on a river up in Wisconsin. All right. Yeah. You're like, okay, tell me more. I've heard, I've heard a little bit about this from some yeah. other guys. We took a we took a Giltner uh, uh, we took a, a miniature Giltner, bus. Giltner, Giltner miniature <laughs> bus. And, and we thought we were a little hillbilly. <laughs> I mean we had a lot of fun. I mean I'll never I'll never forget it until the day I die, but that was crazy. That, I mean that was that was definitely a good time, um, but on the on the other side of the spectrum, I I really think that uh, um, Tristan Burst is another one of them. I just yeah. think he's let's, a great uh, great great kid. Go ahead. Let's circle back to this bachelor party. Um, I'm, I'm thinking there's probably a few good stories here. Uh, tell, I'm thinking there's a 30 for 30 behind this as much as we keep hearing about this. So. Yeah, like we've had a lot of guys really start to tell us a little bit about this party. Walk us through a little bit of that <laughs> night and what transpired because this sounds like it's kind of, you know, uh, an uh, under-the-radar epic yeah. night that a lot of us don't know about. Well, I mean, I, I, I think the Wisconsin Bowl got off easy compared to what we're hearing about this bachelor party. So. Yeah, this I'm this bachelor party was like it, it was supposed to be all hooped up and awesome, and they're like this river. I mean, it's like it's legendary in Wisconsin. People party and there's beaches and all this stuff. We get there and it's downpouring and it's like 50 degrees, cold, really cold, cold. and. We didn't have any food. We would go get <laughs> cases of beer from the concession stand. Like every 10 minutes, we'd get cases of beer. And there's nobody there. Nobody at this place. And what, what are some of the things that went on? Went on? Well, on the thing journey. that really sticks out to me is that um, Drew Ott and um, former other defensive lineman, um, Logan Magnolia. Dom. Dominic Alvis. Dominic Alvis. Okay. They woke up the next morning. Have after- you guys had Dom on? No, we haven't. I'm oh, gonna write. Yeah. We're gonna write that one down right now. <laughs> I gotta say, before you guys were recommended by about half the guys we interviewed to have on too. <laughs> Dom Alvis, the best. 
Kirk Ferentz impressionation ever. <laughs> the best. He will make you piss your pants laughing at how good it is. It is phenomenal. <laughs> you guys got to help us get him on too. Oh, Ten four. Yeah. Um, what we were um, – the thing I remember about it is – and a lot of stuff went on, and some of it's pretty explicit, so we probably can't talk about it. Nothing like, wow, I can't believe you guys did that. We blew up a car or something. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's all pretty believable stuff, but probably not rated here. But woke up in the morning, and Drew Ott and Dominic Elvis are in a pretty much in a fight, an argument, because they were both yelling at each other and arguing about who was pissing on who during the night. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I woke up and you were pissing on me. Well, I, I woke up and you were pissing on me. It wow. Was, it was the funniest thing ever. I think we laughed for a solid half and, hour. And we didn't stop on the way up there. <laughs> we're all There's 20 of us crammed in this tiny bus. Like 20 of us crammed in this tiny bus. We've got a five-gallon bucket with a lid on it. People were pissing and pooping and all the way up. <laughs> it, was, it was redneck, but man, it was fun. I'll never forget it. Wow. Well, guys, that was fantastic. We had an absolute freaking blast talking to you. I feel like we could do this for another hour, but um, we know you guys have lives to get back to and got to get up and, and, and work tomorrow. So thank you so much for uh, all the great memories you guys created for us Hawkeye fans and and for taking the time out of your guys' busy schedule to, to sit down and catch all the Hawkeye fans on what you guys are up to right now. 10-4, guys. Thank you so much for having us. Let us know how we can promote this on social media, et cetera. We're happy to do that for you guys. Thank you for having us on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, to, to uh, the point, too, thanks, guys, too. You know, you, we hear all you guys talk about leaving the uh, leaving the helmet in a better place. And, I mean, you guys were well represented, as we said. Uh, I live over here in the area and used to see the uh, local news with, you know, with you guys being from Northwest Iowa. And, you know, you were well represented while you were there. And we just, you know, really appreciated how much, how well you represented the Tiger Hawk at your time. So it means a lot. Yeah, it means a lot. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Go Hawks. You bet. All right. We'll see you, fellas. Take care.